God designed us for life, an abundant life with Him and with one another. But there's a problem. Someone has taken our life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We're missing out on life like God intended because we go looking for life in all the wrong places. But there is a solution to this problem. Jesus said he came so that we may have life and have it in abundance. That's why Cross United Church exists, to help people find life like God intended. We believe life like God intended happens when three things are united in our lives. When we're brought to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ, when we're brought together in authentic community, when we're deployed on the joyful mission that God has for us in the world, we experience fullness of life. Life like God intended, united in wholehearted worship, authentic community, and joyful mission is why Cross United Church exists. Good morning, Cross United. I'm so glad you've joined us and tuned in to this message. If you have your Bible or your uh, app, I want to encourage you to turn or tap over to John 8, 41 through 47, as we're talking this morning about the challenge of paternity. It was a beautiful April afternoon in Louisville, Kentucky, when Laura walked into Starbucks on Baxter Avenue, and our first coffee date over uh, cups of coffee at that Starbucks. We laughed and we talked and uh, moved seats a few times. We ended up spending three hours together. It went really well, obviously, because we ended up getting married uh, about a year later. Um, over the course of those three hours, while we were talking and laughing and getting to know one another, I was doing something that's sort of a nervous habit for me. I took once I'd finished drinking my coffee, I took the paper sleeve off the outside of my Starbucks cup and really subconsciously started to tear off little pieces and slowly put those little pieces one by one into the sippy hole of the Starbucks lid. And by the end of that, I had torn the entire sleeve up and put that sleeve in little pieces in through the sippy hole into the inside of the cup. Fortunately, that little quirk didn't uh, prevent Laura from wanting to go on a second date with me and eventually uh, falling in love together and getting married. Uh, what's interesting is um, I've become sort of known in our family for wanting to make little packages and shoving everything, all the wrappers from dinner, if we have fast food or something, in a paper cup or a bottle so that it's easily contained and disposable. What's interesting is my dad is actually known for the same thing. He's known for making little packages of garbage and putting all the garbage in a container or a bottle so that he can all dispose of, dispose of all of it at the same time. And I never really learned that from my dad. I didn't see that and think, man, that's a really good idea. That's, that's the way I want to live my life. I didn't watch him and imitate him. I didn't have him teach me about it. It's just something that I sort of picked up along the way. Um, the funny part about that uh, is that that's really how so many things are with parents and kids. Um, kids resemble their parents. Now, obviously, biological kids resemble their parents physically many times. But even more importantly, biological or adopted kids, they resemble their parents in terms of patterns of beliefs and behavior. I never, my dad told me years ago, that he can, would catch himself doing things that my grandpa would do. And he said, one day, Danny, you're going to find yourself doing something and thinking, gee, I'm just like my dad. And it's really so true. That's what it means to be a parent and a child in many ways, is to, to, to resemble this, this pattern of beliefs or behavior or physical characteristics. 
the pattern of resemblance and the pattern of imitation is woven into the parent-child relationship. And that's true both in our earthly relationships and our spiritual relationships. Last week, we talked about the challenge of legacy and how our past relates to Christ in the present and how the challenge of of Jesus asking these uh, believers who their father was and, and them saying, well, our father's Abraham and him challenging them again with saying, who really is your father? And that leads us to this fourth of seven challenges of authentic faith. And that is the challenge of legacy, the challenge of, excuse me, the challenge of paternity. Last week, we talked about the challenge of legacy. This week, we're talking about the challenge of paternity. Two times Jesus has challenged his Jewish hearers with uh, this this question of who their father was, as I've said. They made this initial profession of faith about the and 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 they've said that they 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 expressed this trust in Jesus. Um, but he says to them in 838, if you got your Bibles you can turn I know I said 841, but just go up a couple verses. He says, You do what you have heard from your father. Now, he doesn't specify who that is. And then he says down a little bit in verse 41, you're doing what your father does. And again, he hasn't specified yet who their father is. So their first response is, well, our father is Abraham. We're descendants of the covenant father of the people of God, Abraham. And Jesus deconstructs that claim. Now they're going to say, look at John 8, 41. We weren't born of sexual immorality alluding to Jesus's uh, questionable past where his mom uh, had him before she and and Joseph were married. And we know why that happened, but they were charging him there uh, with being born of sexual immorality. And they say instead, we have one father, God. So so as as they're going to claim, they're going to claim that they are children of God himself. And here we find ourselves presented with a challenge that Jesus is presenting to them as well. This challenge of paternity. As these hearers were claiming both to be covenant children of Abraham and children of God the Father himself. And as we look at the way Jesus responds to these folks, we're going to be presented with a two-part way to evaluate our own claims of paternity. The paternity challenge with God and people isn't a challenge of whether God is a legitimate father, but whether we're legitimate children. And in Jesus's explanation to these hearers in John 8:42 through 47, we're going to give we're going to see Jesus give us two questions to evaluate our legitimacy as children of God. These are the questions. First, do you love the Father's son? Second, do you listen to the Father's word? The genetic marker or the family resemblance or the DNA test of God's fatherhood isn't a physical characteristic, but it's a pattern of life, of loving the Son and listening to the Son, of loving Jesus and listening to Jesus. So the first question is this, do you love the Father's Son? Look there with me at John 8, 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Because I came from God and I'm here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Do you love Jesus? Do you have a stirring affection for him? You know, the first and great commandment in the Old Testament is Deuteronomy 6.5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. 
The Hebrew word there for love is ahav. And it's used a number of times throughout the Bible. It's used for the way that Abraham loved his son Isaac. The way Isaac loved his wife Rebekah. The way Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. The way Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. The, the way Yahweh loved and chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and his people Israel. We see here that Ahav love is a love of choosing and favoring. It's a, it's a discriminatory love. It's saying, you're my favorite. You're my choice. You're my number one. It's a primacy love, a prioritizing love. It's saying, I would choose you over and over again, first and foremost, every time for all time. It's saying, you're my one and you're my only, my favorite, my beloved. I long for you and I love you. This is the type of love that God has for his people. And it's the type of love that God wants us to have for him. This is what God wants from you. Simply you. God wants you. He wants your heart. He wants your love. He wants your affection. And from that affection will flow action, will flow obedience. It's about what we feel and it's also about how we live. And if you're a child of God, you will love God. You will love God because you will be brought into his own eternal love for his son. This is the reason Jesus gives for the way why uh, children of God the Father love God the Father. And that's because they love God the Son. Eternal. God the Son. Incarnate. I came from God, he says in, in John 8, 42. And this refers to the eternal generation of the Son and the, the triune life of God. I am here refers to the Father sending the Son in the world to become a human being. The mission of the Son reveals the life of of God and the Trinity. The Father sent the Son. And the life of God is a, this eternally vital, vibrant life of giving and receiving of love between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father sends the Son because the Son was eternally born of the Father. And, and, and here's, the, here's the upshot. If you claim to love God, if you claim to love the Father, you have to love the Son. You have to love Jesus, if you claim to love God. And only the Holy Spirit can bring these affections into our heart. Thomas Aquinas, the great theologian of the Middle Ages, said that John here places the sign of becoming a child of God in one's interior affections. For we become children of God by sharing in the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, the Holy Spirit is the cause of our loving God, Aquinas says, because Romans 5.5 says, God's love has been poured out into your hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Therefore, he concludes, the special sign of being a child of God is love. Are you a legitimate child of God? Well, you'll know if you love God's son, if you love Jesus, if you long for him. And I have good news for you. Jesus is even 
better than you realize. He's always surprising us with his kindness and his care, his power and his provision. And you know, he's longing for you. He loves you. He's with you and he's for you. He gave his life because of love for you. The Father loves you enough to send the Son. The Son loves you enough to be sent and to go to the cross. And the Spirit loves you enough to come and to dwell in you and to minister the presence and the power of God to you. So ask God to help you see his love for you. And what that will do is it will stir up your love for him. That's the only way you'll possibly be able to respond is in love for him. Do you love the Father's Son? Here's the second question. And this is verses 43 through 47. Do you love the Father's Son is the first question. The second question, do you listen to the Father's Word? Do you listen to the Father's Word? Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he's a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can convict me of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. Here we see that lack of spiritual understanding is a problem with spiritual hearing. He says in verse 43, he says, They don't listen to his word, not because they will not, but because they cannot. Now throughout John, there's this important emphasis on the word. So important, in fact, that he begins the, the story of Jesus and the biography of Jesus that he's writing with that in the very first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word being the eternal Son himself. The Bible uses different expressions, different metaphors or analogies to describe what's ultimately indescribable, and that is the life of God himself. It talks about, the in terms of a father-son relation, the father gives life or begets his son. It also talks about it in terms of a speaker-word relation. So the father eternally speaks the word. Now these are not like father-son relations in, in hum, human life or like speaking in the way we speak a word, but they are a faint, th these things give us a faint understanding of what it means for the Trinity to be the Trinity. And here we see that the Bible uses this analogy of the Father speaking the Word, and that because the, the Son is also the Word, someone who listens to God will listen to the Son because the Son is the Word. A true child of the Father will listen to the Word who John 1.14 says was made flesh and tabernacled or lived or dwelled among us. But these hearers, they're spiritually deaf. They're not passing this challenge of paternity. Here we see the second principle in verses 44. Spiritual deafness follows a pattern of satanic devilishness. He says, you're of your father, the devil, and you carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. 
here Jesus finally says, after alluding to it two times, who their father truly is. It isn't Abraham. It isn't God. It's the devil. It's Satan. They're children of the devil. Now, not literally, but figuratively. They imitate the devil because they want the same thing the devil wants. Their desires, their loves, and their longings are corrupted and misdirected and perverted just like Satan's were. They're children of the one who Jesus says in John 10, 10, comes to, the thief who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, our church exists to mobilize people and the people of God to fight the enemy of God so that people who don't yet know God can find the life that God has designed them to live. Because the enemy is trying to steal and to kill and destroy, but people are being called by God into life. And the aim of the enemy is always the same. It's always murder. It's always death, spiritual death. And his weapon is the same. The weapon is deception. When it says he was a murderer from the beginning, it's referring to the way Satan entered into the garden as a, as a serpent and he lied to Adam and Eve and he tempted them and he, he lured them away from God and God's word and then killed them, murdered them spiritually. He killed them by deceiving them. He works the same way today. What's really interesting is that this is actually a corrupt and perverted imitation of the life of God and the relation of the Father and the Son. When it says he's the father of lies, it, it's, it's, a, it's a corrupt and disgusting imitation of the Father, as Augustine said, who begot his Son, who's called the truth, John 14, 6. So the devil, after his fall, begot a son, so to speak, lying or lies. These hearers are seeking to deceive the masses and to kill the Messiah. And they're in that they're following the example of the devil, their father. They can't hear Jesus because they're under this sinful, demonic influence. This is the enemy's aim and operation still today. He wants to murder the masses by keeping them deceived. He'll use any number of false ways of living and false ways of worship to do it. He doesn't care. Which way, as long as it's not the way? He'll keep people worshiping false gods so they won't worship the true and living God. One of the things we talk about a lot in our church is, is that we're sometimes plagued by the killer bees, birthday parties, ball games, brunches, and boats. We're, we're, we're enslaved often to the things that seem around us to be the good life. You know, in the ancient Greek world, they had a pantheon, a whole list of gods who they thought were in charge of different things. And I think our community may be in captivity to three of those gods. Not that they're real gods, but we're just using this as an example of the way Satan deceives people. Poseidon was the god of the sea. People are enslaved and worshiping at the altar of the water. Aphrodite was the god of sex and procreation. And people are enslaved in worshiping sexual fulfillment and family relationships. Dionysius was the god of partying and pleasure. People are enslaved to the idea that they only live once and they're just going to enjoy life as much as they can while they can. Our church exists to help people 
see the truth and to be set free by the truth. Some will never listen, but take heart, some will. Look what Jesus says in John 8, 45 through 47. He says, because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can convict me of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. We have a message of faith, hope, and love of a God who sent his only begotten son to become a human being, to live a perfect sinless life, to give his life as an offering for our sin on the cross, to be buried and raised from the dead so that anyone who will turn from their sin and trust in him will be forgiven of their sin and given eternal life. Some of you have taken that step of turning from your sin and trusting in Christ. Others of you have never taken that step. And if you've never taken that step, I want to invite you to do that right now. I want you to just pray a simple prayer to admit to God that you're a sinner and you need a Savior, to believe that Jesus is who he said he was, God the Son, the sinless sacrifice who was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, and to confess that he is the Lord and Savior of your life. If you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I just want to give you a moment now, if God's leading you, to pray. A simple prayer. Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I believe in Jesus. I believe he lived and he died a sacrificial death on the cross, that he was buried and raised from the dead. I confess, I turn from my sin and confess that he is my Lord, my hope, and my Savior. Save me today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. After this, the true heart of these hearers is becoming very clear. They're being moved away from the superficial, shallow profession of faith that was really no faith at all. And they're showing who they really believe Jesus is. And this Next confrontation between Jesus and these hearers will present us with a fifth challenge of authentic faith, the challenge of insanity. I hope you'll join us next week. God designed us for life, an abundant life with him and with one another. But there's a problem. Someone has taken our life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We're missing out on life like God intended because we go looking for life in all the wrong places. But there is a solution to this problem. Jesus said he came so that we may have life and have it in abundance. That's why Cross United Church exists, to help people find life like God intended. We believe life like God intended happens when three things are united in our lives. When we're brought to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ, when we're brought together in authentic community, when we're deployed on the joyful mission that God has for us in the world, we experience fullness of life. Life Like God Intended, united in wholehearted worship, authentic community, and joyful mission is why Cross United Church exists.